Good afternoon, everyone. Welcome to the Seat Strip Movie Podcast. Today is episode, big milestone episode, number 50. Number 50. My, my name is John. Joining me is my co-host, Quinn. Hey, guys. How's it going? And Curtis. Hello. And we've got some special guests today. Uh, it's a jam-packed special guest. Snake Bliskin Party. Snake Bliskin <laughs> Party. So we have a few spe- guests joining us. So first up, Miguel, welcome back. The name's Pliskin. <laughs> and Grant. Hello. And we also have on uh, Ryan. Welcome back, buddy. Hey, thank you. Happy to be here. It's a uh, lovely July 31st. Um, full disclaimer, I just woke up, but it seems good so far. I uh, don't have a whole reference level to go with, but uh, how's everyone doing uh, this fine weekend? Pretty well, yeah. Had a nice house of Target night last night with my brothers, so that was oh, pretty good. Nice. Yeah. yeah, you're still in Ottawa, so you're still enjoying all the sights yeah. and sounds the uh, city has to offer. Yeah, enjoying the, soaking up the sun. <laughs> Got yeah, my G license, too, so that was pretty good. <laughs> oh, congrats, congrats. How about Thanks. everyone else? Anything uh, crazy coming up or just uh, just enjoying the... Fantasia Film Festival. Oh, that's true. Yeah, Fantasia's up right now, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, I was able to catch a couple of screenings in the last uh, last week or so. And oh, cool! Uh, it's cool. been a good year. <laughs> yeah, I've also been doing some work uh, with the Christie Pitts Film Festival out of Toronto, making nice. video bumpers and ads and things for them. And my contract is about to close up as they round the end of their season through August. That's cool. off. Well, so uh, I guess today, of course, we're back on John Carpenter beat. We're talking. Uh, very special movie, uh, the 1996 film Escape from L.A. But before we get to our escape chatter, uh, we like to, as we always do, go through uh, our, our watch list editions and also what we watched this week. So let's start off with uh, new stuff that we've added to our watch list that we're looking to check out. So, uh, Quinn, why don't you uh, kick us off? What uh, what new stuff have you added? Yeah, for sure. Um, so the first one that I added uh, was a movie. I saw a clip of it, um, basically where um jake gyllenhaal or sorry toby mcguire he goes ape shit starts breaking things and going crazy i'm like oh this is interesting (laughs) so i looked into it it's a movie called brothers and uh it came out uh i think of 2000 yeah 2009 so it's got uh, jake gyllenhaal toby mcguire and uh natalie portman in it who i'm a huge fan of and it's a drama thriller sort of war movie uh, while on tour in Afghanistan, Sam's copter is shot down and he is presumed dead back home. It is his screw up brother who looks after the family. Sam does return, but with a lot of excess baggage. Yeah, pretty, uh, pretty highly rated film. Yeah. So I just added that to my list. I just thought it, uh, it looked pretty neat. And I do like, um, Jake Gyllenhaal too. I think he's, he's pretty good. He's done some good stuff. Uh, and then another one that I added is a Steven Spielberg film that I've never seen called Empire of the Sun. Mm. That's based on, uh, I think, J.G. Uh, Ballard's life. I think it's his mm-hmm. autobiography. Yeah. Oh, is that right? Hey, okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Author, yeah. Drama history war. A young English boy struggles to survive under Japanese occupation of China during World War II. Um, yeah, I just, I love Spielberg. I love mostly everything he's ever directed and stuff. So um really excited to check this out and then it's also got a uh a pretty a pretty young christian bale in it too so uh definitely excited to check that one out um, also a very young ben stiller is that right eh? oh mm-hmm. oh, yes. oh yeah right on um oh sweet i didn't know that um 
yeah, really excited to check that one out. Uh, what about you, Curtis? What'd you add? Uh, so just a couple ones for me. So I'm a big uh, Akira Kurosawa fan. And I mean, I'll watch anything he does, even if it's like painting the fence dry. So I, uh, he has this film called The Akira from 1952. Uh, I think it's about this old man who's terminally ill. And he, he, I think he buys a park or something. Uh, but I added that to my list. I also added um, If These Walls Could Talk. So I watched A Few Good Men, which I'll talk about shortly too. And actually the highlight for me was not, I love Jack Nicholson, but the highlight for me was actually Demi Moore. I thought Demi Moore was amazing in that film. And it reminded me of Jodie Foster in Silence of the Lambs a little bit. Um, and she directed this uh, HBO TV film in the 90s called If These Walls Could Talk. It's like a kind of like a TV film miniseries. It's about abortion and stuff. And I, I love uh, Demi Moore's work. So I, I thought I'd check that out. Um, and then I, I like a lot of Cleo Barnard's uh, direction. She's a, uh, a filmmaker in UK and Yorkshire. Uh, so she does a lot of kind of Northern English films too, and really kind of working class. I'm always interested in that kind of Ken Loach style. So she has a new film out called Ali and Ava. I, I watched the trailer. I'm still not 100% sure what it's about, but I liked her other films like The Selfish Giant. I thought that was really good. It's really realistic and uh, uh, kind of really touches your heart. And then uh, Mike Judge announced that there's a new season of Beavis and Butthead uh, to follow that uh, the second movie. And it's my guilty pleasure, not going to lie. So I love everything that Mike Judge puts out. So I'm going to probably watch yeah. that when it hits uh, Paramount Plus, uh, I think in ne- this week, I think. So that's something to look forward to. What did you watch, uh, John? Uh, yeah, just but... off, John. Just just before, um, sure. I have to say, Curtis, very good choice on Ikiru. I actually have the Thanks, uh, Ooh. Uh, Criterion collection. The criterion, wow! It, oh, man, cool. This, this is a this is a masterpiece. This might actually be my favorite Kurosawa film. Really? Uh, wow! Yeah, I know it's a bold statement, like Seven Samurai, Rashomon, and stuff. Like. He's he's out, outstanding, but I think you're really gonna really gonna like Aikiru. It's, it's phenomenal. Uh, yeah, yeah. Because I read the plot synopsis, I'm like, it doesn't sound like much, but like, I just love everything he's done. Like Derzu Uzala is one of my favorites too. Where you know, he, there's this guy, this uh, Western guy, and he goes to the Siberia with this uh, Siberian guide, and it's about their relationship. And it's just a very simple story, but it just tons so it's so sentimental and meaningful. And I love his shots and his direction and. Yeah, I'm excited to watch it. <laughs> this, this this is no different. Very very simple. Doesn't require a lot of thinking, but it's just uh, uh, it's very heavy, just emotional. Very just very 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 good. But anyway, just just a side note too. I I, I have really Something. fond memories of watching Seven Samurai with uh, Grant and when we were in undergrad on his on his oh. laptop. That was a lot of fun. <laughs> the ideal way to watch it, obviously. Yeah, laptop, of course. <laughs> That's how the way that Kurosawa uh, minted. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Right, so, the smallest screen possible. So for my, <laughs> at least it wasn't a PSP. It wasn't on a UMD uh, disc. You know? <laughs> uh, <laughs> so uh, I added three things uh, recently. Two of them are actually kind of similar. And I think we've actually talked about uh, two of these before as well. So uh, the first was a film uh, directed by Martin Bell from 1984 called uh, Streetwise, a documentary showing kind of like lower classes of 80s Seattle and kind of showing a bunch of like young youth. And, and I, I don't know a whole lot about it, but I know it probably presumably will kind of show um, poverty, drug use, stuff like that. So kind of excited to see that. Um, also, when I think I think Quinn might have watched this one before, Dark Days from 2000 by Mark uh, Singer. It's a film looking at the uh, New York City homeless, right? In the, in yep. the subway system. So that's kind of cool. Kind of going in the underground subway. and um, Yeah, it's in the, the Amtrak. It's it's actually, it's it's a, it's incredible. Like they have yeah. just, just the little things, like the little like shocks that these people have built. And it just shows kind of like, like there's one guy, for example, it shows him going out and like collecting cans and bottles every day. Oh. And 
it's uh it's really really interesting man very very well done and um mark singer was ballsy for for doing what he did and and filming like that so yeah check i i did a review on it too on my instagram so oh that's uh, right yeah check out uh, that seat strike reviews yeah and check yeah, that out yeah too. i really uh yeah that's a good doc man you're, you're gonna dig it thanks and the last one i added was uh, shiva baby by uh directed oh, wow. by uh, emma siegelman uh, from 2020 of course rachel said it stars in it um heard really good things about it i know when it came out it was kind of on my radar uh, i've heard it's like a really awkward comedy kind of like a oh, i felt i felt like anxiety, family anxiety. I, I watched yeah. things i watched anxiety when i when i watched it and i was like this is really funny but i feel so awkward right now family family party meets like uncut gems or something so i don't know i'm, I'm gonna looking forward to feeling very stressed out for like an hour and a half or two hours so excited to check it's, that it's one a good out. stressed out if that means anything <laughs> oh i love it all right anyways moving onward uh mcgill what, what have you had recently to your uh, watch list just a couple of things and both of them are tv uh, for starters, I absolutely love the Gendy Tartakovsky animated series Primal. Oh, yeah, that's a great one. It's fantastic. Uh, just top to bottom. I absolutely love everything about it. And Primal season two has started airing, but I have I did, not watched I didn't know they had season two out already. So that's, I'm going to put that on my watch Just started. Too. I think only like two, maybe three episodes are out at this point. And I need to catch up because Primal season one was amazing. And Primal season two is probably going to be more of the same. And uh, the other TV show on my watch list is one that just came onto my appropriate, you'll pardon the pun, you'll see where I'm going, just came onto my radar recently. And that's the series For All Mankind. Does anybody here watch it out of curiosity? I've seen, I think, like the first episode, see uh, the space one on Apple TV Plus, right? But, yeah, exactly. Yeah. The, the premise really hooked me. The, the idea being, what if the space race never ended? It's yeah. a good hook. Like, what if we were still trying to race to space now? Um, but something happened. There's been some, like, turn with this show where suddenly everybody's talking about it. All the message boards that I'm on are talking about how great it is. I believe it just got picked up for a fourth season or maybe fourth season is on right now. But it just, like, suddenly I discovered yeah. everybody talking about this show and how good it is. So I got to check it out and had to add it to my watch list. I'm sure I'll get to it pretty soon, but not before Primal Season 2. Cool stuff. Very important. <laughs> cool. Um, all right. How about uh, how about you, Grant? What have you had recently to your uh, watch list? Uh, yeah. Um, well, uh, actually, one of the films that, uh, that I was able to catch at uh, Fantasia um, uh, recently kind of... Uh, um, uh, was this uh, um, really interesting film called Please Baby Please, and uh, I'll, I'll probably talk about it a little bit later on, but um, it's uh, uh, some of its influences kind of um, made me want to return to um, uh, some films that I, I visited in the past, uh, but, uh, uh, you know, are, are too much of a distant memory. Uh, so uh, uh, I've added um, a Rebel Without a Cause to uh, um, my, my watch list. And uh, I, I remember seeing uh, the film, you know, way back in uh, in my film school days, and really enjoying it. Um, and uh, uh, it just feels like uh, um, seeing a contemporary director kind of play with some of the imagery and aesthetics, uh, and just kind of vibes of uh, of that film made me want to, uh, you know, return to it. So uh, um, there's that, and uh, as well, uh, this uh, the same. Um, uh, 
the same kind of uh, nostalgia uh, sort of drew me into a bit of a click hole. And I was like, okay, well, uh, <laughs> um, uh, I started kind of looking around for like other films that kind of uh, uh, used, uh, you know, the fifties as their backdrop. And I was looking in Douglas Sirk and I realized, okay, well, um, uh, there's another big uh, um, gap in my film knowledge. And it's, uh, it's a uh, uh, Rainer Werner as Fassbender and uh uh, he made the, the kind of spiritual remake of, uh, of the, um, of a Douglas Sirk film called Ali Fear Eats the Soul. And, uh, Fassbender is one of these directors that I, that I read a lot about, but like of the, of the three big, uh, new German cinema guys, he's unfortunately, uh, a big gap. So I, I think I'm going to, I'm going to try to catch that one this week. Can't wait to hear your thoughts on Ali Fear Eats the Soul. I studied uh, Fassbender as part of a, a German cinema course in university. Oh, nice. Yeah. Uh, I think, uh, I think I did the vendors one. <laughs> so. Yeah. Cause he's kind of, yeah. Like you said, cause he's kind of, it feels like he's been swept aside. Cause you know, Bim vendors gets a lot of critical accolades and, you know, we know uh, some of the other ones too, but you know, you don't really hear much about Werner Fassbender and he started, he, he wrote, he did so much too when he was still alive, you know, like. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think, I think that's probably it. He's, he, he, you know, he had a really, really prolific, uh, you know, couple of years and then, uh, you know, sadly passed away. So unfortunately mm -hmm. we don't, uh, we don't get uh, him showing up in, uh, you know, odd places like, uh, like our pal Herzog. Uh, these days. Yeah. <laughs> He's everywhere. <laughs> Even yeah. over Kim Morty. <laughs> What did you watch, Ryan? Uh, I or was actually checking out the uh, the prequel for The Thing with Mary Elizabeth Winstead. Mm -hmm. uh, I thought that was really good. Um, but like having a main character in The Thing I thought was, was kind of weird, but it was a really good movie on, on its own. Uh, and then uh, that made me watch... Uh, she's got a new movie called Kate on Netflix, which is she's like an assassin in, in, in Japan, and it's a fun watch. It's nothing, nothing amazing, but it's fun. Uh, and then I, I, I'm trying to get Kurt to watch uh, Arcane as well at some point. Oh, Arcane! Cool. The animation looks great on it. And I was like, damn, it's incredible. It's it's exceptionally well told, and the come a long way from reboot. Yeah, mm, yeah. You, did you add anything to your watch list, Ryan? To anything that you want to still want to see? Well, I, now thanks to Maggie, I've got Primal season two on my watch list. <laughs> uh, Very good. Yeah. Nothing really other than that, though. It's Primal watch party. Yeah. Cool stuff. Well, uh, I guess Ryan also takes us into what we watched this week. Uh, Curtis, what did you watch uh, this week? Anything exciting? So I, I didn't watch too much this week. Um, I was a fool and I didn't listen to your uh, your advice, John. And I watched that awful movie, 77 Minutes, which <clears throat> is about a shooting at <throat> McDonald's in the 80s. And it was exactly like you said. It was very exploitative. They it, Just to recap, they uh, they have this documentary. And the whole the other director's other films are like this, too. Yeah. I don't know. I, I think it's really unethical and exploitative. You should go to jail. Yeah, absolutely. Sucks. He tells his crew, he's like, I want to show it exactly as it is. And they show like footage of the crime scene. I'm like, that's, that's not acceptable. It's like a dead child sitting there from the actual crime scene footage. And he does this with all of his other movies. Like, it'd be like, oh, there was a Walmart shooting last year. Let's make a movie about it. And it's like, well, man, that's like really disrespectful to the victims. And yeah, his whole career is like this. So like, fuck that guy. Yeah, it wasn't he's a very like, I'm not, I'm not going to say the killer's name to glorify him. And then shows like all this like 10 minutes of like, yeah, you know, footage and work. then he, he keeps, okay. I mean, I, I I'm not a huge police guy, but like, I mean, he keeps blaming the police for this and that. And I was like, 
like dude like they did the best they could like what would you have done then you're kind of, what well, i think there was a term in, in some of the, the the reviews i read it was like monday monday morning quarterback <laughs> which is like someone who comments when he's yeah. like, like to the scene <laughs> well the first the first and, like, cop who's on the scene he has no idea he's like one guy against the guy with like a machine gun and he's just like yeah so do you regret what you did now knowing and it's like what kind of question is that man like like yeah you'd feel bad about yeah. it but he's like no like, i i did the best with the knowledge i had yeah, yeah, like they couldn't they couldn't do much more, I think. So I mean it's yeah, it's kind of misplaced and really unethical way of approaching uh documentary filmmaking, in my opinion. Uh I wouldn't I would not recommend this movie. It's on Tubi if anyone does want to watch it, but I probably wouldn't recommend any of his films. 77 minutes. Um and I also watched a few good bands, so I'd heard about this for a while. Love uh, Jack Nicholson's performance. Um, Tom Cruise is very Tom Cruise in this movie. I actually, I couldn't stand him. I thought he was a snotty little bastard in this movie. <laughs> and I was like, oh man, like another scene with Tom Cruise, like, you know, little little prince of Scientology. <laughs> but I really liked uh, Demi Moore, actually. I thought she was kind of the underrated uh, character too, because I thought she wasn't really, she was really attractive, but she wasn't really sexualized too. And, you know, they didn't really dwell on the kind of romance between Tom Cruise and Demi Moore. And she kind of reminded me of, of uh, Jodie Foster and Silence of the Lambs, because the film came out in 1992, it's around the same time. And you also have these kind of female characters too, in this very kind of patriarchal, male dominated world you know in this case uh the uh, the army and the navy at this time uh too and basically the film is about uh this the soldier is kind of uh basically hazed but it's called the code red but he gets kind of uh killed he dies as a result too and they investigate and, and jack nicholson is absolutely you know despicable it's such a great performance too because he plays this awful you know um uh colonel and you really feel for demi moore's character too you know he kind of sexualizes her because she's a woman working in the maybe although she's like better than you know <laughs> all the other guys she works with too so it did kind of remind me of uh, silence of the lambs quite a bit but it was okay it was a little bit long it's rob reiner i think that was like considered his last good film uh, for a while and uh i think it was aaron sorkin i think that was his kind of rise to fame too but it was it was quite long it was like two two hours 20 minutes and you only get like a couple scenes with jack nicholson so i mean those scenes with jack are worth watching but you can just watch those on youtube i think too so i mean not uh not my favorite rob reiner film but I was glad I watched it. And I also watched, um, you know, I was a little bit nervous about my G test. So I, I got with my brother and my mom and we watched My Neighbor Totoro. I'd watched it before, but this is kind of my comfort uh, food, the Studio Ghibli. Beautiful film to watch again, too. It's about two girls uh, living in kind of rural Japan and uh, they get visited by forest spirits and the forest spirits kind of take care of them. Their mother's terminally ill. Really beautiful film. I, I was a little bit, uh, spoiler alert, you know, I don't know about the ending too. I always think, you know, I'm a little bit pessimistic about the ending. I'm like, well, uh, maybe the mother will die at the end, but I, I, I really hope not. But it's a really sweet, really feel-good film. Uh, I think Grant and I had once said too, you know, there's a lot of, not a lot of films that really make you feel good, but I think this is one that genuinely makes you feel good with no ulterior motive. Really beautiful to watch. The animation holds up really well. It's Hayao Miyazaki at his kind of peak of his powers, really. And uh, really great to, to see too. And that's, I mean, Spirit Away is one of my favorites. So is Now is the Kill, but I love my neighbor Totoro as well too. So definitely worth checking out if you haven't seen it before. All the films are on Netflix. Uh, so that's everything I watched this week. What did, what did you watch, Quinn? Uh, yeah, I only watched um, one title this week. Uh, it's a film from 2013 by Denis Villeneuve, who I'm a big fan of. Um, and this one's called Enemy starring uh, Jake Gyllenhaal and a it's a man seeks out his exact lookalike after spotting him in a movie. Um, yeah, that's pretty much it. He ends up watching this DVD and he sees this guy in the back and he's like, holy shit, 
obviously played by Jack or Jake Gyllenhaal as well. And he becomes sort of obsessed with this guy, looks into him. And the whole film shot in Toronto. Uh, very cool cinematography and everything. Enjoyable movie, interesting plot, cool. Denis Villeneuve, like I said, great cinematography, great editing, uh, good script and everything. Dumbest fucking ending in a movie I've seen in a long time, though. <laughs> I was so pissed. So, yeah, like, I, yeah, check it out. But, like, you, yeah, you, you're you going to know what I'm talking about. Be ready for dumb, that ending. Be ready for that ending. <laughs> dumb, dumb bullshit ending. Like, I was pissed off. Because, again, like, Prisoners, Prisoners is one of my favorite movies of the last 10 years. Uh, you know, uh, looking at... Uh, Blade Runner 2049. I loved that movie. I thought it was awesome. Great sequel. Blade Runner is one of my all time favorites. So it was like, you know, it's 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 a hard one to to, you know, to uh, to compete against or, or, or you know, follow, I should say. Um, but uh, yeah, not my favorite Denis Villeneuve movie because of the bullshit ending. But hey, it is what it is. Um, but uh, yeah, that's that's the only title that uh, that I was able to watch. What about you, Grant? What did you watch this week? Uh, well, yeah, uh, like I said, I, I caught a couple of Fantasia uh, films uh, this week. Um, uh, I, I won't talk about all of them, but uh, the, the two highlights that I, uh, I had a really great time with uh, were um, Relax and From the Future, uh, which is a uh, this really funny uh, sci-fi uh, film uh, that's shot and set in Hamilton, Ontario. Uh, but it uh, it stars uh, uh, Reese Darby and uh, Gabrielle Graham. And uh, actually... Uh, uh, Julian Richings has has a role in this film, uh, which was really delightful. We got out of the, my my girlfriend and I went to the screening together, and we got out of the screening. I was like, uh, you know, did you did you notice that Julian Rich, Richings is, is in this movie? And and she's just like, who? And I was like, oh, he's he's A. A. Milne from the from the uh, uh, the uh, 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 Canadian Heritage Minutes. And she immediately was like, oh, <laughs> was he um, there? And he wasn't. So he, yeah, he wasn't uh, there for the Q&A, uh, unfortunately, uh, but uh, uh, yeah, the director was in attendance and uh, one of the stars. Uh, um, yeah, uh, Reese Darby and uh, uh, Gabrielle Graham have like really, really great chemistry. It's very funny. Uh, if you, yeah, if, if you know any of his work, it, it's very, um, it, 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 uh, it blends very effectively into uh, uh, the cat, his catalog of past performances. Um, uh, yeah, I had a great time. Uh, I'm sure, I'm sure it's going to get a pretty wide release, uh, afterwards. It seems like, uh, the sort of thing that would, uh, uh, would get successfully picked up and, uh, uh, uh distributed. So I, I imagine, uh, uh, yeah, I, I imagine, uh, um, it will be widely available and, uh, beloved, uh, very shortly. Um, <laughs> and the other, uh, the other film that I was able to catch, uh, was, uh, like I said, Please Baby Please by Amanda Kramer. And, uh, uh, yeah, I was really bowled over by this film. Uh, it's, uh, it's, it's kind of, it's the story of a beatnik couple that, uh, that encountered, uh, this greaser street gang. And, uh, it, 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 its goal, I think, is to kind of, uh, you know, take, the, the queer subtext of a lot of, you know, 50s melodramas and, uh, you know, issues movies and kind of bring, uh, bring those elements to the forefront. Um, and it's just, it's got this like really beautiful kind of uh, lighting design that feels like straight out of like Narcissus or something. And it's, the dialogue has this like wild kind of snappy Raymond Chandler thing. Like it, it's really kind of a pastiche piece, uh, but it, 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 uh, it works really effectively. I, I, had a, I had a great time. 
there was a yeah, again there was a director Q and A, uh, and I'm, I'm I was I'm gonna have to uh, go into this director's back catalog because I, I I believe uh, I believe they've made several films at this point. Uh, uh, this isn't uh, their first feature. Uh, <laughs> Um, they released two films this year, which is uh, fairly impressive. Um, uh, that uh, that both had uh, featured that, that were both feature length uh, releases. Um, but oddly enough, Curtis, uh, for you bringing up Demi Moore, uh, she uh, has a cameo in this film. Well, actually, not a cameo. Oh. Maybe uh, maybe uh, is pretty substantial uh, role in this in this movie. So uh, that's great. Also, I haven't uh, seen her too much lately, so it's kind of nice to see her. Uh... In, she's in, she's great in this she's really good in this um yeah uh so uh you know uh maybe keep your ears to the ground on that one if uh, if you want some more demi more content <laughs> sounds great yeah all for demi <laughs> demi sauce <laughs> what did you watch what'd you watch miguel uh, a couple of things that i watched in the past week uh one kind of builds off of something you were saying curtis you were talking about how there aren't a lot of like properties that are just you know, designed to make you feel good in a nice, wholesome way. And I've been watching a TV series called Joe Para Talks With You, which sadly, I it only sort of popped into my mind recently because I heard it had been canceled after season three. But uh, I had seen a few episodes. I read about its cancellation. I was like, I should just watch this whole thing. And so I've been working my way through Joe Para Talks With You. And it's just the most nice wholesome show uh the way i recommend it to a lot of people is it's sort of like twin peaks but without all the surreality take out all the surreal stuff all the sort of horror stuff it's just like quirky small town folks living their lives they have you know weird interests and eccentricities but the show never treats them with any sort of disrespect you know like a Joe uh, gets a girlfriend, the, Joe Perra is the main character, he gets a girlfriend and she has a lot of anxiety to the point where she has a like stockpile of food in her basement like a survivalist just because she's really anxious about that, about the world coming to an end. But the show doesn't like make fun of her for it, it's just sort of a quirk of her character. And a lot of the episodes aren't even really plot driven, they're just Joe talking to you, the viewer, about stuff that's on his mind, philosophizing about life. One of my favorite episodes is episode two of the series where he just talks about how much he loves breakfast and all the different things you can have for breakfast. And the episode is him going to his favorite diner for a a Saturday morning brunch. And he's going around and he's just talking to all his friends who are there and they're all asking him like, what are you gonna have for breakfast? And he'll look at the camera and be like, I can't say yet. And so it's very playful. The whole episode sort of builds to the end where he sits down and you find out what Joe decided to have for breakfast after weighing all of the options. And he's just so milk toast and mild mannered that it's really charming. Someone asks him, do you want eggs Benedict? And he goes, that's too opulent for any day but Easter. So, so it's just a really sweet show. And I definitely recommend Joe Paracox with you. And then going from very mild mannered, sweet and wholesome to like totally insane. I also watched this movie RRR, which is a fairly recent release. Uh, it's a yeah. it's not it's not Bollywood. I think it's Tollywood. Tollywood, yeah, it is, <laughs> yeah. It is Indian cinema uh, directed by SS Rajamouli, and 
it lives up to the hype, man. Everybody was talking about this like it was the greatest yeah. thing you'll ever see, the best action you'll ever see, but also like amazing musical numbers and the best romance and the best like happy-go-lucky the romance. The dance choreography in it too is it's unreal. So good. incredible. And yeah, the action really blew my mind. Like they go so hard with this movie that uh, it, it leaves you sort of staggered, leaves your head spinning. Um, I won't attempt to sum up everything that is in this three hour movie. I will say though, that it does not feel like three hours. Like uh, my mom last night, I was, I told her about RRR and she said, I'm going to watch it. But, you know, three hours is a bit long, so I think I'll do it in, like, two halves. I'll watch half tonight and then half maybe tomorrow. She just watched the whole thing. She couldn't stop. So nice. it really draws <laughs> you in, and it is so energetic and, like, propulsive that, like, once you're in it, you you just don't want it to end. Um, and, it, and to give you a brief plot synopsis, it is, like, historical fiction about two revolutionaries who become best friends only to discover they are fighting on opposite sides of a war. And uh, so, you know, there's a lot of the drama there is they're, they're best buddies. And I mean like the best friends that it could ever be. And then they find out they're on opposite sides and it's crushing betrayal, but they can't fight each other because they love each other too much. <laughs> and it just, it all, uh, it all crescendos into like a half hour long, completely insane action sequence with slow motion speed ramping and just incredible fighting. And like, there's a whole bit where one guy is, is fighting on top of the other guy's shoulders with the rifle in each hand. It's, it's bombastic and wild. And perhaps the most amazing thing about it though is that for all that it has this insane action, it's all incredibly clear. You never lose track of what's going on. There's no shaky camera work or overly nice. fast editing. Like it is just, it is a real sight to behold. So uh, I have a big recommendation for RRR as well. It, <laughs> that and Joe Parra talks to you, two vastly different properties yeah. <laughs> for two vastly different moods, but uh, I loved them both. Cool. At least us with you, I think, John, what did you, you had a good uh, line oh, yeah. this week. Yeah, I watched a lot of weird uh, things as usual. Uh, the first one I watched was, uh, it's actually a, a TV series, an animated one, which I think actually just got canceled. Um, but uh, nonetheless, I started watching it on, on Netflix. It's um, called Close Enough, an adult animated series, uh, directed by uh, or created by J.G. Quintel, who did Regular Show. And my understanding is the show is very, very similar to Regular Show. Um, pretty cool. It's kind of following this like little millennial family. They, they're two 30-somethings with a young child. They live with these kind of weird roommates, and they also live in this kind of uh their their landlord lives, lives next door and uh, it started off like i, I was kind of like this is okay like it's just the humor is kind of basic and uh, a lot of like millennial kind of cringe humor and i was kind of like whatever but i just actually <laughs> just finished the, the end of the first season and now it's in the second season and the show like really has gotten kind of crazy which i've actually joined some of the jokes are actually pretty funny and i i i think uh i, I do like um a lot of the kind of the, the supporting characters in it too and, and some good uh Good, good work there and uh i i like when i started watching it, i thought it was going to be kind of dumb but i've actually kind of gotten a little bit sucked into it like uh there's some, there's just some wild stuff that happens and uh yeah i'm excited to keep watching it even though even though it's canceled unfortunately uh, uh it seems like it's kind of kind of hitting its groove um i also have been watching some movies i watched uh i had this on my watch list for a long time i watched that uh cloverfield movie the cloverfield paradox which wasn't very good pretty boring um uh, 
I, I remember <laughs> I was looking, I was watching it. I'm like, what's going on? I look at my clock and there's like 20 minutes left in the movie. I'm like, that's not good. Um, but I didn't hate it. Like I it got some really awful shitty reviews, but I thought it was tolerable. It kind of reminded me of something you'd watch on like the space channel in like 2002 or something. It had that kind of feel to it. it and, feels, uh, it's kind of fun. Because that movie came out around the same time that that movie Life came out too, and I thought there was kind of yeah. like a lot of overlaps with that too, which is interesting. Yeah, and like it, it was, I, I mean, you can, I can see why it like debuted like the day after the Super Bowl on Netflix. Like it wasn't a movie that I don't think would have done particularly well at the theaters, but it was okay for what it was. It was, um, it was thankfully kind of short. And Chris O'Dowd just like the whole time he's like playing it like it's a comedy, so he's just cracking jokes the whole time and. I kind of like that he just didn't give a fuck, so that was fun. Um, also, I have this DVD that's like this two classic movies, kind of double feature with a bunch of kind of like special features and little bumpers and kind of let's all go to the movie drive-in style uh, commercials and stuff. So I watched the first one, the Roger Corman film from 1980, sorry, 1959, uh, A Bucket of Blood, which I actually really loved. I thought it was super funny. Uh, kind of this little bit of this sort of parody of this is kind of young man who's uh, working as kind of like a server at this local kind of... Uh, beatnik dive bar like for slam poetry and like artists go there and he's kind of feeling a little bit insecure because he kind of he's kind of like a nobody and then all out, out of the blue I, I don't want to spoil too much but uh, uh some something is killed and he decides to kind of make it into this kind of like uh art piece with like i guess like i don't know paper mache or something he puts stuff on it it's kind of like a little bit of like 50s like house of wax kind of horror but he makes this thing and brings it in and kind of all the people at the the local beatnik joint are all like yo man look at this cat look at his artwork and he starts to kind of build himself in society but you know to to create new creations this thirst of blood starts to rise and super funny i mean i was kind of thinking this was going to be dull but i mean for a movie that's what like 60 something years old like i i had a blast and i could see this movie being kind of very fun to maybe remake or it felt very timeless because it's kind of skewering you know kind of beatnik like hipster culture of like faux art folk and you know that you, you get to see them like like laying praise on his creations and seeing this kind of like nobody 90 pound weakling kid kind of like build up his ego and he starts dressing fancy like sunglasses and like sweaters and it was actually really fun i had a good time watching it some pretty um and, and you know I, I love roger corman stuff so uh, there's some kind of fun kind of horror parts as well too and a lot of like innuendos where he meets this one woman who like clearly wants to sleep with him but you know it's the 50s so they can't uh, be too explicit they're like lots of like corny dialogue that just made me laugh uh it was it was it was actually a huge blast watching it and then i watched the second feature which was the you know the classic monster uh, film uh, the giant gila monster which wasn't good it was actually pretty terrible <laughs> didn't help that the the i was watching on dvd the copy that i was watching on it it looked like it had been through the filter, like one of those like mothers against drink driving commercials with like the glass. It was so blurry and washed out. But the the monster itself, it's just like a it just cuts to like footage of like an actual Gila monster walking around. And like it just it was so bad. Like uh, <laughs> even compared to kind of the other contemporary stuff of the era, um, it, it, this one wasn't very good. Um, so kind of fell out of that one. And of course, uh, I've been watching on movie uh, the Lee Grant documentaries. I watched, uh, I think it was the Wilmar 8 recently about the, the women striking against the bank. And then I watched the, the next one up, which is a, her film called When Women Kill, a documentary. It's roughly like all of her documentaries are roughly like 70 to 80 minutes, uh, interviewing a bunch of women who have been put into jail or prison um, for the crimes. And, you know, we meet women of, you know, who've done pretty minor stuff to women, to Leslie Van Houten, you know, of uh, the Manson, one of the Manson girls, um, really emotional, powerful documentary. I, I was trying to read and find out kind of the fates of these women, because, you know, these are women that are put into jail for like, you know, 
like eight to 25 years or something like that. And, and I couldn't really find much. So I was trying to hope, I hope I could find more. I know Leslie Van Houten is still, I believe she's still in prison. Um, but what an emotional documentary. I mean, the, the, I mean, the short of it is a lot of these women really should not be in, in prison. A lot of them are women who were um, committing self-defense, you know, shooting their husband who was literally trying to murder them, or they got sucked up with some man who got them into crime. And I mean, just seeing these women's lives, like so many of them were just young 20 somethings who were ready for college or, or, or grew up in kind of poverty and didn't really know much of anything. So it was really emotional. And even the Leslie Van, Van Houten uh, sequence, Lee Grant, actually, I was reading about it. Lee Grant was a, a friend and, and starred with Sharon Tate in some of her films. So there's actually a kind of a close connection between them. And you could tell she's like, you motherfucker. But to her credit, like I, I found Leslie Van Houten uh, very kind of interesting to watch. And you could see, I mean, you know, she's someone who's been now in prison at that time for, it had been like 13 years and we see her like getting a university education and she's very well-spoken. And I don't know, it, it made me really think about, you know, the people that go to prison. I mean, obviously this is from like a women's perspective, but you know, it, you know, these people are in prison, you know, they're, they, they go for their parole hearing. It's been, you know, a couple of years and they got to wait another few years. It's like, um, how how is justice working in this situation when so many women really shouldn't be here and they're you know there's this one woman who's like a clarinetist and it's like she should be at the college playing like song i don't know it was it was very fascinating and uh really probably my favorite of the ones i've seen from her so far uh, but so i'm excited to check out some of the other ones uh also watched uh this really horrible netflix film from 2018 called extinction apparently it was supposed to be in theaters they got dumped into netflix uh, starring michael penna as like the main role uh kind of about this like group of people and this kind of futuristic apartment complex to get out of the blue these like robot soldiers just descend and start massacring everyone there's a really kind of fun plot twist in this that actually was really good um it's a shame the rest of the movie was so garbage gotta be have some of the worst netflix sheen i've seen to date like the good middle 35 minute mark of this film i couldn't actually see what was going on because it was so dark and drab and washed out and i couldn't even tell what the creature kind of designs were it was really terrible but uh the plot twist was kind of compelling and you know it would have made for like a better kind of more dramatic sci-fi film if it kind of had more stuff going on so um that was that uh, i watched for the first time uh, tetsuo the iron man at the at the mayfair uh i haven't really had much time to really process because i just saw it a couple days ago but I, I will say a couple of things um really good use of length if the film's only like 78 minutes long and like i i remember i was like near the end of it i'm like wow like this movie's got to be ending like right now because it feels like i've been here for like an hour and a half and it, sure enough there was like another like 20 minute like there's so much stuff packed in the film and really really great use of i mean i think it's all shot on like eight millimeter uh camera footage and all you know all close uh shot film but really great sequence scenes especially the black and white a lot of good like impressionist kind of influences the faces and stuff and you know really good kind of blend of you know the organic versus the metallic and, and machine and obviously a lot of stuff there involving kind of like sexuality i mean this is also coming out and Kind of the height of the AIDS era so I think there's probably a little bit of uh, a text there to do with sort of that that kind of that kind of subject matter but I, I actually was really into it I thought it was really cool inventive really horrifying too um, and you know really really gross don't watch this one with grandma obviously um, I had a good chuckle because I always see these like really wild films by myself and then I'm at the theater with like nothing but couples who are like watching it for the first time and getting to see their kind of shocked reactions always you know, gives me pleasure. And then the, the last one I watched, uh, this was done, hosted by the folks from Drunken Cinema. They're also an outfit that they do a lot of showings as well at the at the Review Theater in Toronto. They were here 
at the by town uh, to do the wedding singer. It was their usual shtick where you have like playing cards where if the thing happens on the screen, you shout out and wave your, but they also had a sing-along component because the movie's super musical and we were all singing along. One of my favorite experiences in a theater was so funny. Uh, Blat, you know, of course, if you've seen the wedding singer, the whole, you know, somebody kill me, please song, whole theater people screaming that out was super fun. We were all pretty <laughs> drunk. It was great. The movie itself, I got to say, like, I, I love Adam Sandler, of course, but I've, I've always had a, a soft spot for The Wedding Singer. And it actually, I think, holds up better than a lot of the other films he was in, obviously, because of a lot of things. It's kind of very musical, a lot of 80s songs. One of the first pieces of media I can think of that was kind of explicitly like an 80s uh, nostalgia piece, because I think a couple of years later, you'd get like GTA Vice City. And that was sort of kicked off the kind of the wave of 80s nostalgia. This was a little bit before that. So it's kind of fun to see all the, just the amount of 80s shtick like put into it. It's it's really fun. And uh, yeah, and it's got some heart to it. I mean, Drew Barrymore and Adam Sandler have obviously great chemistry and their characters are really fun. And it was getting a great click when, uh, kick when uh, what's his name, Glenn, the, the kind of antagonist, the, the douchebag shows up. Everyone's like, boo. And it was just, it was so fun. Um, I'm not usually one for the rowdy screenings, but lately I've really enjoyed the, the drunken cinema affair so yeah that was that was uh that was about it for me and i think uh we're now moving on to our, our main events uh escape from la um very excited of course uh to take folks back last little time we talked i think it was village of the damned right from our from our last yeah, uh, village of the damned. yeah and that was kind of an interesting year for carpenter because i think that saw the u.s theatrical lease in 95 as well too of uh, in the mouth of madness so kind of like two a big high which i mean we were we liked it i was really into in the mouth of madness and then a big low with Village of the Damned. And I think I mentioned watching, I watched the 1961 right before and I'm like, wow, it really kind of showed like the flaws and kind of the adaptation of the Carpenter. But of course, this is of course his big sequel to uh, 1981's Escape from New York. So it's been many years. I think they, they even remark in the film like Snake, it's been like 15 years or something or 16 years. It's It's been a while. And of course, uh, this film had actually been in development for, I believe, quite some time. I think up, up to about 10 years. Um, there was a script for this was commissioned 1987. And uh, Carpenter kind of worked on it for, for a while. He he thought the script was like a bit too campy. But I mean, this film itself is, is pretty campy. And I think it really shows like, yeah. I, I, I was reading somewhere, it was described as sort of John Carpenter's like Gremlins 2. And I, I kind of see it a little <laughs> bit because it just feels so... Even even knowing the limitations of the CGI and effects, it feels so intentionally like campy, more so than the last movie, um, of course. And it, it actually has kind of some of the old gang back together. Of course, Deborah Hill, uh, who had worked with Carpenter in a lot of his earlier films, and for a time was also kind of a romantic partner of his. Uh, she was back, of course, produce, uh, co-writing this one, producing it as well, too. Also, Kurt Russell gets co-writing credit on this, too, which is kind of fun. Um, I imagine he was pretty involved in this whole project from the start, too. Really nice to see early Steve Buscemi too. I'll watch anything with him <laughs> in the '90s, you know. Oh, whenever he pops up in like a '90s film, I'm like clapping. I'm like, oh, and in the Wedding Singer too. His whole shtick, he was getting great laughs too. So, uh, yeah, he's he's pretty fun in this too. And of course, uh, another interesting kind of note before we get into it is the the music. So uh, John Carpenter, of course, does the score, but also Shirley Walker is involved, and she did the score for, I believe, it was Memoirs of an Invisible Man. And, um, kind of one of the, one of the uh, another rare film where Carpenter wasn't like the lead person doing the music, uh, whether it's someone like uh, a star man like Jack Nietzsche or or all the stuff that he did sort of like Alan Horvath or, of course, Ennio Marconi with with Thing. Um, it was kind of always fun to see Carpenter collaborate a little bit more, do kind of things a little bit outside his realm. And I think this was kind of the beginning of his, I, I guess, last movie, too, of his whole kind of like new metal shtick where all of his film scores were just like 
heavy electric guitars. He was really getting into the the the, the metal music at the time. Um, and and of course, the plot. This one is it's a very similar movie in a lot of ways. I mean, this isn't really like you know changing things up kind of narrative structure wise. It's it's very similar, and we get a great, of course, pre you yeah. know opening sequence with the the like metal gear solid effects with the kind of the green laser like like radars and stuff and of course we find out this one taking a little bit place in the future in 2000 there's this massive earthquake that strikes la and we get some really uh i mean the the special effects of this they're not very good they've aged pretty badly (laughs) weird to think of this movie came out in august a month before it was independence day which that movie effects hold up i mean that movie has a lot of practical effects too obviously but the effects of that movie hold up just fantastic and it's you kind know, of night and day it. when you compare them side by side and, and, and yeah and weird to think this one came out a month later it looks like uh like a ps2 game or something but i i i love those old kind of like ps2 kind of 90s cgi effects so it didn't really bother me that much it gives it a little bit of a weird kind of stylized look to it um but this big earthquake happens the kind of the big one as he put it and of course la is now like separated off kind of the continent of the united states this is like island once again hey we got an island we could put all the undesirables and criminals and stuff like that and, and moreover the new president of the united states is like this very fascist kind of uh, theocratic leader he's talking about you know the la is the island of like this is the sodom of gomorrah and he's being very biblical it's like oh he's probably like a few election cycles for being the real president of the united states give or take but uh they've also developed this like powerful i guess it's called it's the sort of damocles is that what it is this like kind of almost like the, the command and conquer ion cannon device or it's whatever. Like the golden eye satellite. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I was waiting for a Sean Bean to like show up or whatever and, and uh, try to put a stop. And, I'm invincible. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But uh, so of course, snake, we also see snakes arrested and it's actually kind of cool because snakes dressed up in the same costume you wore. Oh, Kurt Russell's in the same costume you wore in a, in escape from New York. Uh, but you know, now he's kind of, you know, once again, apprehended by the U S government and now, He's on this uh, quest to, I guess, quasi save the president's daughter because she's like shacked up with this sort of revolutionary guy and and they're making a bunch of like propaganda. Her name's Utopia. They're making a bunch of like propaganda videos of, of his name's Cuervo Jones, which I got a kick out of. And uh, he's sort of sent there. But also, once again, God damn it, he's got something going on. He gets poisoned. So he's got this poison in his body. There's no, 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 leave it, no leave Van Cleef this time, sadly. But, uh, you yeah. know. It's a Stacey Stacey Keach, Keach, on yeah, from uh, Body Bags fame. Uh, he's back. He's in this, and uh, I, I gotta say too, like I don't know what it was, but I, I guess like Kurt Russell really like amped up the like quotey dialogue to like a thousand. It's just like there's even more like call me snakes than than kind of normal. At least from what I remember from Escape from New York, he's almost like a parody of himself a little bit in this one too. But uh, yeah, this movie I think really takes off. Of course, when he goes to LA, and I love that great animated sequence in like the submarine when he's like, it, it feels like reboot from like YTV. It's like going around in the water, and when when the shark like shows up, I was like really laughing. I was having a blast, a uh, blast with it. But uh, I mean, we can kind of just get into our general thoughts. I actually really like this movie. I thought it was pretty fun. I don't know. I I, I kind of dug it. I mean, it's obviously got a lot of flaws. Um, I think comparing it to Escape from New York. Just visually, I think this film does have a lot of moments where you can see its budget, where you could, like, especially with the motorcycle chase sequence. I'm like, wow, this is actually really, you could see where this $50 million went. It looks pretty good. Uh, but there's a lot of sequences where it looks like a, a Space Channel Canadian produced, like, piece of material. And compared to Escape from New York, which, yeah, compared to Escape from New York, which is, you know, we got Dean Cundy. It looks so good, like the visuals of it. It has such a great aesthetic style to it. 
and this one it's more colorful but it's it, it looks a little bit kind of cheap at times too unfortunately yeah actually i found out about this game when i was playing um Duke Nukem 3D when I was a little kid <laughs> and it's like you didn't escape from LA and I'm like oh, I gotta watch this but then I watched it and I was like well you know <laughs> it wasn't what I thought it would be but I was like well, what did I think it was going to be and I think it's when you compare it to Escape from New York too which is such a great Carpenter film and too I think there's a lot of expectations too so I mean it may, maybe it's unfair I think for me I didn't get a chance to rewatch it but I think comparing them between the two might be a little bit unfair I guess but uh, I mean it is a kind of continuation of the first one but in many ways it's um, very flawed what did, you, what did the guests think? What did you guys think? I have a lot of history with this movie. Uh, you'll have to like hold me back uh, because oh, go on, rant away. Well, not it's not a rant. So obviously, I was on your episode discussing Escape from New York. I absolutely love that movie. It's one of my top Carpenter movies. I mean, my favorite Carpenter movie changes day by day, but it's <laughs> easily like ranked way up there because I absolutely love it. I saw Escape from LA first. I, and it was, in fact, uh, I would say this is the movie that really got me into John Carpenter of all the films, because I, it came out when I was like 13 years old and I saw it on a VHS. I, I can't even remember. I don't think I even rented it. What I do remember is that at the time, one of my mom's friends was dating a guy. I even remember his name. His name was Hutch. Hutch had two VCRs, Whoa. so he would rent movies and duplicate them with his oh, wow. two VCRs. And he gave me a, a VHS copy of Escape from LA, and I watched it so many times. Something about it, like, I mean, I guess if you're like a 13-year-old boy, this is sort of perfect for you. Something about yeah. it really clicked for me. Uh, and so I even re-watching it for this recording, I was like, I feel like I can recite this whole movie. I, I couldn't even put a number on, on the amount of times that I watched this film back in the day. Um, and th it was before I had like seen Halloween or before I had seen The Thing. Uh, I had seen Big Trouble from Little China, but it had been like when I was a little, little kid to the point where it was one of those movies where I couldn't remember if I just sort of made it up. And I, I rediscovered it years later and, of course, fell in love with that film as well. Um, and so Escape from L.A. really does hold a very special place in my heart as a result, even if it is no longer even counted among my top Carpenter films. And it was really fun revisiting it this time yeah. because uh, I was sort of able to more clearly see its shortcomings. But also as a fun little thing is I had seen it on VHS so many times this is like one of the first times I've seen it in widescreen format. I was so used to the old pan and scan VHS. So it was kind of a treat actually seeing it like looking like a movie. But as you said, so many plot similarities and sort of sci-fi channel made for TV movie yeah. <laughs> uh, production values. This was in the late 90s, especially Carpenter seemed to get into this this groove where he didn't really care if the movies looked a little too colorful or too cheap. Like in particular, yeah. I think of Escape from L.A., Vampires and Ghosts of Mars all have that sort of like that look where everything looks like it's kind of made out of plastic and, you know, it's, uh, it looks a little tacky and a little silly. And then, uh, yeah, all those plot similarities are really glaring to me now. They didn't stand, stand out to me when I hadn't seen Escape from New York. But no, instead of New York, it's L.A. Instead of a bomb in Snake, it's a virus. 
instead of tracking the president's, the president's daughter, instead of Lee Van Cleef, it's Stacey Keach, instead of a glider into the city, it's a submarine, instead of cabbie, it's mapped to the stars, Eddie. Yeah. <laughs> instead of brain, it's Hershey. Instead of a wrestling match, it's a basketball game. Like, yeah. it, this isn't a case of the movie just referencing its prequel. It's just like doing the same thing with a few changes here or there. And uh, one last thought before I sort of turn it over to other people is those few changes, there are some that I think are actually really strong. Yeah. I kind of dig the blues rock theme for Snake Plissken with that guitar <laughs> twang. Butthole um, surfers on the soundtrack. <laughs> yeah, it's, it, it's, it's pretty fun. Uh, I like those opening credits you mentioned, John. It's like uh, Carpenter finally got his for real CGI like wireframe mock-ups. Uh, you know, in Escape from New York, we talk about how that approach into New York are just models painted yeah, with glow-in-the-dark paint, but he actually gets the green wireframe map in this one. And uh, of course, I mean, I won't get too ahead of myself here, but I think the the best change he makes is the ending here is fantastic. I oh, think yeah. the ending to this movie awesome, absolutely rocks. And you can kind of tell throughout the film, like I could recognize moments where I was like, Carpenter wanted to put this in Escape from New York. He just didn't have the means at the time. And I feel like maybe that ending is either something he originally intended or just hadn't thought of and then thought of it later, like in the shower after the premiere for Escape from New York and went, oh, I should have done something like that instead. <laughs> anyway, I could go on and on, but somebody take the mic away quick. What did, what did you think, Grant? Uh, I Ryan? had an all right time with it. I'm, I, I, I certainly think that there are a lot of flaws in this film, but uh, I, I, I do find... Um, I mean, we've already discussed, uh, John, you, you mentioned kind of the, the video game aesthetics of this. And uh, it's, it's I, I almost feel like this is uh, like the fact that this sort of ended Carpenter's uh, like uh, run of like Snake Plissken films, just as Kojima took, uh, it just uh, takes, the, uh, takes the mantle and kind of borrows heavily from these films and goes yeah. on to, to make the, the Metal Gear Solid series. Yeah, it's two years telling. before Metal Gear Solid, yeah. Yeah, yeah, and and like there, there, there's a lot of not just kind of plot similarities and you know kind of borrowed borrowed elements of character, but like just the aesthetics of this, like certainly certainly feel very much of the video games of the era, and I I think it's interesting because uh, reading up a little bit, this was uh, the studios, uh, sorry the um, the uh, the FX studio that uh, that produced a lot of this. This was their first go at 3D animation, and okay. uh, I think it it has a little bit of like like uh you know a little bit of folk art charm to like the way yeah. that they kind of the goofy shark in. that pops up i'm like oh man that was very yeah yeah nice. yeah uh, um or even even how like it's 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 like mixed in with these like very 70s matte paintings like it yeah it, it kind of uh i i think it's it um I, I mean carpenter himself i think uh in in the uh in in the the quote that's included in our uh in our a little conversation document uh, himself, I think brought up the the idea that like, oh yeah, no, this like just just wait ten years because no one understands it now. And to a certain extent, I think that uh, um, there is something to be said for the fact that uh, the aesthetics of this movie, I think, are starting to kind of uh, you know age into a fine line, and the the hokiness and the and the the that that sort of like early uh, early CGI look, I think is 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 starting to have a little bit of um, uh, a moment. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and, 
Um, and yeah, yeah, I, I think I think uh, uh, there there's a there's a lot to uh, love about uh, just uh, just that um, that uncanniness uh, that that comes with uh, that era of, uh, of effects work and uh, that it that it looks kind of rough for the time is I guess a little bit charming. Um, so yeah, again, I, I was very mixed on the overall. I'm, I'm, uh, the, I, again, uh, I, I, neither neither of the escape films are my favorite Carpenters, um, but I, I think it's really interesting in the context of his career and uh, that uh, like this was kind of one of one of his later efforts. Um, uh, do, you, and, do you have a favorite Carpenter film? Um, I, I think uh, I'll, I'll steal a page from McGill and say say uh, it changes uh, regularly. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, I, uh, I mean, of course, I love the thing, uh, and uh, um, I mean, uh, uh, they live has some has some pretty great moments. Yeah. <laughs> uh, um, but uh, yeah, yeah, uh, I, I think uh, uh, I, you know there there's there's certainly uh, certainly stuff to love in here. Um, uh, but yeah, I'm a, I'm a little more decidedly mixed. Um, I, I do find it interesting uh, again to go back to the uh, the the question of uh, you know if if time has been kind to this film or not. Uh, it's uh, I think it, it it certainly works better in uh, 2022 than in, uh, it probably did in 1996 because uh, <laughs> you can very 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 clearly tell that their first draft was written in the 80s because I mean just all of the moral majority uh, um, you know theocracy angle uh, I'm sure probably felt a lot weirder like in the in the midst of uh, uh, you know Clinton in the White House like I, I just like those ideas I think would play like a lot like uh, yeah. like a lot better <laughs> especially with like the purge films that have come out it's like the same yeah kind of idea. yeah yeah exactly they, they could be the same universe you know just a different part of the united states a um, carpenter predicted social media radicalizing people how do you do that like <laughs> like the president's daughter gets radicalized in the yeah metaverse. oh my god i forget yeah it's true <laughs> <laughs> and even the vr stuff and it, it's pretty fun too like uh I, I like the scene where we see her kind of issuing that message to the government we see the kind of snakes view with all the care yeah i for when i first saw that i was kind of like what's going on and then kind of pulled away and i actually thought that was pretty uh pretty fun and inventive and um yeah th thanks for thanks for sharing your thoughts on uh, mcgill and grant and also like i think uh the way it handles obviously it's it's la setting versus like new york like i mean escape from new york came out you know right after the late 70s you know new york is this kind of pit of crime and it's very dark and kind of dreary and we do get kind of some nods to new york a little bit with like the whole broadway sequence with all the inmates acting out the little play and stuff like that and cabby of course is a typical new york cab driver and it was kind of cut fun to see the kind of contrast in this one where snake enters the la and there's that really great long take where he's walking through and like every single actor is like dressed differently. There's so many props. I was really taken by just how it's very obviously like Mad Max inspired too. It's very, you know, coming off after the road war and stuff like that. And, um, you know, seeing all the little differences, there's that oh, villain. I can't remember his name, but the plastic surgeon played by uh, uh, Bruce Campbell. Surgeon general of Beverly Hills. <laughs> yeah. And he's like doing all like the kind of little plastic surgery on folks. It's, it's a little hokey, but I, I thought it was pretty funny. And, and I was joking with friends. I'm like, I'm watching crimes of the future right now. And I sent a picture of the, of that so it made me laugh uh but uh kind of fun little body horror and even um again some of the characters deals with like with uh with uh, map to the stars eddie the idea of like you know being obsessed with like celebrity culture and i gotta think you know this came out in the late 90s at this point carpenter had had a, had a very long career and had gone through you know working in studio films and working with like big name stars you know 
especially like the Chevy Chase and stuff like that. I think at this point, you know, he was in a great time to actually make like a film, uh, but kind of really skewering kind of California and kind of celebrity culture. And, you know, Carpenter himself had been kind of burned by the films he did and, and even with this one too. So I think he, he had kind of that kind of really wanted to, to give it to them. And I think that kind of plays into the little bit of the, the, the I'd almost call it like a left libertarian ending like because it is I've seen some people kind of critique it a bit because it is kind of dark uh, it is kind of like a fuck you to the establishment but at the same time it's kind of a fuck you to everyone so you know how just is it but I, I think it's it's really fun and interesting how it how it's done and I think you guys brought up a good point of again it, it is like embracing the early like the the, the mid late 90s kind of CGI um, but it is using practical effects. Like, I, I think especially the sequence when they're at him, when him and Peter Fonda are surfing, he's like, come on, bro, surfs up. And they they do the big high five. And I was like standing up, you know, ovation because I was so happy. But it cuts <laughs> to like a Steve Buscemi in the car. And it's like totally like out of like a 60s green screen, like the side view of him in the car. And it's like that whole kind of mix of kind of new CGI with like old it, he, Carpenter had been aware of that and how that would kind of blend together. And I think it really creates something kind of really visually interesting at times in this. And uh, I also really liked uh, Hershey's character. I thought I was kind of bracing myself for something that was going to be really kind of gross. And, and I mean, it's not, you know, it's not the most current, but it is really funny when sticks like reaching up and he's like, ah, pulls the gun out and made me laugh. I was like, it it was kind of funny how, how it dealt with it. You know, it wasn't too, uh, too gross as I thought it was going to be, but yeah, look, uh, it's it's imperfect, but considering when this was made, just having a cool trans woman protagonist, like she's one of the good guys and she's played by Pam Greer, who is awesome. Like I was, I was surprised at how well it was handled, especially for the time. And, yeah. and say what you will about the film, too. I mean, he really stands by it, too. He says, you know, I really dig Escape from L.A. even these years. And he, it's kind of a happy ending for Carpenter, you know, because he has this cult, fo- the film has this cult following now, too. So I think, you know, it's kind of a, a happy ending for <laughs> Carpenter, so to yeah. speak. Did it you have any lot- comment? Do you have any comments on it at all, Quinn or Ryan, too, about the film or anything yeah, you noticed? I mean, um, no, but really fun. Uh, I. I like what Grant said. Like, I, I thought it did have a, a an 80s feel to it. You know, it didn't feel like it was, um, you know, whatever, f- 15 or 15 years later anyway. Um, and uh, you know what, man? I, I I recently watched this movie and I pissed myself laughing. Like, I think, uh, I know, um, Miguel, you mentioned it as well. Like, the basketball scene, probably my favorite scene in the movie. Oh, it's Fucking, so good at the Coliseum, just, the LA. Just like, uh, you know, the, the guys with guns and in, in, the, in the crowd and... <laughs> Yeah, hilarious. And then, like, there's like a scorekeeper outside. I'm like, okay, put him on the Warriors, guy. man. That guy can shoot. Yeah, I can hoop. Yeah, no, I, I, I had fun with this movie. It's not a great movie. I, but you know what? I had fun. I still prefer Escape from New York. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I don't hate this movie. It's not on my bottom list for for Carpenter films. Um, and I just, I love Kurt Russell. I'm a huge Big Trouble fan. And uh, I, yeah, Kurt Russell and JC, it, I don't know. It's a, it's, it's a cool duo for me, but um, yeah. What about you, Ryan? Yeah, it's such, like, especially, right, can you hear me? Yeah, okay. Uh, it's such a zany ride, especially with like like the basketball and like the, when the tidal wave comes in, it's like, okay, we're surfing now. Yeah, um, hilarious. It, yeah, it, it's just, I don't know, it, it's wild. Yeah. 
Yeah, and uh, I really love again. We we talked about kind of the blues theme. I love the music in this. Like it's yeah. it, it's it's less uh, you know kind of typical Carpenter style. It's you know a lot of electric guitars. It's very there's like surf rock where we get like the surfer scene. It it feels like very kind of a little bit of like a love letter tribute, I guess, to like you know the fast music scene in L.A. and you know you know their their kind of confluence of like surf rock in the '60s and like '80s like you know uh, punk music and and kind of that inspires like kind of the, the kind of new metal stuff that we see later it's it's really fun but there's also a lot here i think to do with a little bit of aging like it's very self-aware of like kurt russell they're always talking about wow you look shorter than you are and it's kind of like he looks idea. so retro yeah it's like, like one of the first things they say about snake is he looks so retro it's like yeah. the, the myth himself the man himself and kind of playing around with that and you kind of you know being older and a little bit you know maybe a little bit more jowly or chubby and, and it's i don't know I, maybe because i'm getting older myself i'm like oh i appreciate this you know i, I really enjoyed this character who's getting you know people just skewering him all the time but and I, again that plays a little bit with the kind of the la angle of like kind of a place to go to you know to get tans and to kind of work on your body and get like changed and um, you know snakes a little bit of kind of a throwback to a different type of type of character and era and uh, that was fun and yeah i love the basketball scene it's so fun and he's like making those like huge throws and it's actually a really kind of intense scene too because you're like they, they really amp up the danger too and and he's getting that kind of poison affecting him and slowing him down there's a really great scene too when i think he's in the car with with eddie when it really starts to, or he gives him the injection he's like it's kind of flashing to like black and white and the kind of we see the camera kind of speeding up a little bit too at times it's playing with kind of the timing and it's actually really well done like seeing him kind of uh you know start to really get into the shock shock of it too and uh yeah i mean overall like i i just i had a blast uh with this with watching it i think um you know i don't know if i'm as high as john carpenter where he says like people you don't get it this is actually my best film like he seems adamant that this is better than escape from New york I, I do agree with a lot of his things he says though like he says in a lot of ways like this is doing the same thing but kind of asking different questions he calls it a little bit more mature and i, I don't know if i would call it a little bit more mature but i do think it's actually doing a lot of stuff differently than escape from new york and you know it hasn't not it hasn't been like the thing it hasn't gotten its due and it's not considered you know one of his best movies yet maybe needs another five or ten years but i do think this is really good i, I really enjoyed it um certainly more than god village the dam which was which was terrible but uh yeah the, I think while you could see kind of the limitations uh, of its style, um, it does have a lot of love and care and attention. And it, it seems like it's, it's entertaining. Really I think sometimes. This. Yeah. I understand I why he says like it's his favorite of his films, because like, as I mentioned before, I got the real impression watching it that this is what he had always wanted escape from New York to be, you know, uh, like it really stood out to me fairly early in the movie where snake gets into a motorcycle chase with Cuervo Jones's like motorcade and Snake is, you know, driving around on a Harley and shooting guys on other motorcycles, their explosions. And he ramps a motorcycle like into the back of a truck. That was the kind of sequence where I could totally imagine John Carpenter making Escape from New York because he's got, you know, the Duke has a motorcade in Escape from yeah. New York. And I could see him being like, I would love to have a motorcycle chase here. And they just don't have the budget for it. So I don't know. It's almost like uh, this may maybe you know a backhanded compliment or something but it is almost like george lucas with the special editions of star wars like a director who's like no nah, i didn't get it perfect everybody likes what i did but i want to do my perfect version of it yeah and then you get something like escape from la that's a good point too i mean this is goddamn this is 50 million dollar budget i think it's 
just a little bit hair below like Independence Day. Like I, I cannot believe this is 50 million. I think it's either his highest ever budgeted film or one of his like top five. Like, and I, I was thinking like you brought up the point of like having all this money and power and creative control and kind of, you know, putting in towards kind of elements of the film that maybe don't really hit as well. And I, I was thinking of when we watched Starman, like that movie was also a very big budget film. I think it was like 30 million or something. And we get that great sequence where there's like six military helicopters kind of flying and it's a great scene, but I'm like, well, that's where all the half of the budget went was just this. It seemed like whenever Carpenter had like a really massive budget, he's like, I got to do something really crazy with his money. Maybe it's like, he felt like he finally Don't for the first time back. Had, had, had the bag. And he's like, but rather than just kind of, it felt like rather than like sprinkling it throughout the film, it was just like, let's have like a big set piece. Like I really love the motorcycle chase. It's really well done, really well shot going through all the different props and, and set of, of the film. Um, but kind of in between that, it just feels so cheap. But I do love when he has like the, he has the guys around him and does like the quick draw and, and takes them down. I feel like yeah, snakes exactly. a little bit more, I mean, he's not meaner, but he's definitely like, again, he's a little bit more sillier. And I feel like it's a little bit more on the nose of these kind of like 80s action tropes a little bit too. Because he really kind of predates the Arnold and Stallone kind of era that would kind of come in the more of like the mid 80s. So uh, kind of funny to see him kind of come up again. And I'm a little he's bit surprised. clearly gotten more nihilistic. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> how he shuts down the entire world at the end. Yeah. And it's funny too, because there was supposed to originally be like a sequel to this, or they had kind of started to plan one called like Escape from Earth. It was going to be like the Earth shut down. They're trying to get away. Kind of weird though, that there's never actually been a true sequel to this film. I know this film obviously came out box office wise, did not do good. It did like 25.5 million on a 50 million budget. So pretty bad. But I'm, I'm actually a little bit surprised there's never been a kind of a true sequel to it because I feel like, you know, growing up, this was the kind of the first, I think Vampires to me was sort of the first Carpenter that I remember of like my lifetime. I like when I was a kid, I remember that movie like coming out and this was a little bit before of my understanding of what kind of movies releasing and stuff like that. But um, growing up, I always kind of, you know, escape from New York, escape from LA. Like I just, I kind of assumed you don't have a good, you don't have a good kind of, you know, spectrum of time when you're younger you just anything before you, it could be, whatever and i always kind of viewed them as sort of like a package deal so i'm kind of surprised there's never been people be like remember escape from new york remember escape from la here's a new one but at the same time carpenter you know his later career he kind of really kind of took time away from making films and you know and kurt russell was doing his own thing too so i feel like maybe there was never a good time for them to to come together but i i wonder you know now that carpenter's back doing stuff with his son like in music wise he's sort of back in hollywood and he's really kind of avid on social media like promoting a lot of his movies like a lot of his movies have been getting 4k restorations he's been pretty adamant at conventions and he's he's sort of like he's like now that he's getting kind of his due in the most recent years of people really kind of going back and watching like the fog and stuff like that and and really giving him his due on on you know the new generation of film goers like i do wonder if 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 he did come back would it be for something like escape from earth or something like that i don't know but uh i would love i you know netflix give him some money or something some streaming platform's gotta (laughs) be willing to burn vc capital funds i don't know (laughs) <laughs> he did get into that lawsuit uh, over the movie Lockout, which is the Guy Pierce uh, space prison rescue oh, that's movie. Right, yeah. uh, where I, I can't remember what the outcome of the lawsuit was, but I'm pretty sure Carpenter was asserting, like, you guys stole the idea for Escape from Earth. Because that's really, yeah. that's what that whole movie is. 
yeah, kind of interesting. They're so protective of that IP, though. So maybe I don't know if you'd ever consider it, but or, or if maybe after his time, if someone would do something with it. But yeah, really interesting. I mean, now it's kind of weird because, of course, as we're talking about, like two years from now, Metal Gear Solid comes out. Literally, a character called Solid Snake. The whole movie is so uh, the whole game is such an obvious influence to like Escape from New York and, and other kind of uh, films as well too. But I feel like almost like that series is almost eclipsed this one i mean not like it's replaced it but like when i think of that type of film or character i think of like solid snake or something like that but um yeah i, I mean overall I, I really enjoyed this film i had a lot of fun with it very colorful i love the blend of that shoddy cgi with practical effects and stuff like that it looks it looks really stylized very colorful too um some really actually really good shot sequences and this is again a shot with Gary Kim as well, who did all kind of the post uh, Big Trouble films, which I find are a little bit more more LA, more colorful, uh, have a different visual style than the Dean Cundy. But I, I really love Escape from New York, and I feel like Dean Cundy does like probably his well, other than the thing, maybe like his best work on that. Like it looks so good. And I was kind of like after watching this, I'm like, oh, it's thinking about Escape from New York, and I threw on it, threw it on for a little bit. I'm like, wow, yeah, Escape from New York's way better. It just looks. It's just like it feels like there's something about it that just feels totally like capturing lightning in a bottle. It feels so special. And this one, uh, while I enjoy it, doesn't have that same gravitas. Um, anything else you guys want to mention about the film? If it was like a, a scene that you liked or something that maybe really bugged you about it? Um, I, I found kind of what one of the interesting we're talking about the, the, the differences between um, uh, the escape films. This one kind of feels a little bit more like a Western. And I think that that's kind of interesting, Isn't even in the sense that like, you know, we have the shootout, we have the duster, we have these like, um, we have these kind of Western themes, you know, like this idea of uh, like LA as like a place when where one can remake oneself like heterotopic space like uh, you know the, yeah. the 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 peripheral like it's it's like Ronald Reagan turns LA into Australia right like it's <laughs> it's this kind of this frontier space of where identity becomes uh, um, you know uh, fraught and malleable and I th think that that's uh, what's interesting is I'm not sure the film or, or Carpenter himself is like as convinced by this idea but it, it, it's certainly present in the text like uh, you know uh, there's the uh, there's the character of um, uh, uh, Taslima who you know utters that kind of like this is this is the only place this is the only free place left in America or something like that and is promptly executed, um, <laughs> which is is a pretty funny comedic beat. But I think it, it it's sort of yeah. it's that it's that nihilistic cynicism that I think runs through this whole film uh, that it, it, it like it presents this idea then kind of rejects it. Um, uh, which I, I think is is interesting in the context of the Hershey character, who, um, I mean, again, Pam Greer, uh, uh, you know, I think that's really interesting casting for the time. But uh, yeah, I, I'm, I'm <laughs> I don't know, cis guy, but like, I think some of the humor there uh, is, is kind of unfortunately, you know, aged. Uh, <laughs> but see, <laughs> I feel poorly. like the humor there is the the characters are being crass. I don't think yeah, the Carpenter's yeah. being crass. I think yeah, yeah. the I think the movie respects Hershey yeah. even it's if like the Snake has don't. history with Hershey. It's like what the fuck, man! Like it, it feels crass, but it's it's definitely could have been way worse. And there's a lot of movies that's, that came out this time where you're like, yeah, yeah definitely. But uh, but interesting in the sense that yeah. uh, that character feeds into this theme that is running through the text. Um, yeah. Uh, Oh, also another another uh, just weird note uh, <laughs> before I before I end this rant. Uh, 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 interesting little detail that I noticed in the uh, uh, the Surgeon General of Beverly Hills sequence with uh, with Bruce Campbell. 
uh, <laughs> is uh, that the operation is being run out of the Beverly Hills Hotel. Um, and uh, I don't know if you've uh, if you've run into too many LA people, but uh, they're obsessed with the wallpaper pattern of that particular uh, <laughs> of that particular bar. And uh, you know, uh, someone on the uh, the props department or the uh, 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 set design uh, is very aware of this trope and has plastered their uh, you know bombed out weirdo uh, surgery room with this uh, garish tropical pattern that. Uh, uh, I think, uh, you know, caught the world, uh, um, by storm in uh, you know, whatever year, whatever, whatever, uh, part of the sixties, uh, that, uh, that, uh, particular LA, uh, um, watering hole, uh, was, uh, was big news. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I love that you bring up like the Western angle. I mean, Carpenter himself was obviously inspired by Western films and a lot of his earliest films, especially, you know, escape, uh, Assault on Precinct 13 being, you know, just like almost like a re spiritual remake of Eldorado, of Eldorado or rather Rio Bravo. Um, and then following this makes Vampires, which is all kind of done in like, I think I think it's been ages since I've seen it, but it's like New Mexico or it's that kind of uh, geographical, it's very deserty, very warm. Mm. So um, yeah, it is, I mean, Carpenter always wanted to make a Western. I guess this is probably the closest he came was, mm. was this one um, in its style. Um, yeah. Any, anything else you guys want to mention or plug before we uh, move on to what we what we think are our ratings on this one? How about you, Miguel? You could just I know you have a lot to say, so why don't you go off? I, I, I mean, I we, we've touched on the big points, but the <laughs> one last thing I want to mention about this is, you know, we we're talking about a sequel. Uh, it's not a sequel, but there is a spinoff comic where oh, if you cool. want a good laugh, you should check out the Escape from New York, Big Trouble in Little China crossover comic. Which is go, <laughs> ridiculous. There you go. So okay. oh, you want both both properties in one place. Uh, I I don't think it's amazing, but it's definitely worth it just to see Jack Burton and Snake Plissken in the same story. <laughs> That's cool. Cool. So why don't we get into uh, our ratings then, and what we are kind of closing closing thoughts? Uh, how about you, Curtis? What did you uh, What did you think about Escape from LA? Yeah. So obviously, I, I'm a big fan of the original Escape from New York. Uh, uh, it's one of my preferred uh, Carpenter films. This one, uh, you know, it just a lot of flaws. And I think talking about it too really made me appreciate it more. I didn't get a chance to rewatch it, <clears throat> but I have seen it before. Um, so 2.5 for me, I, I didn't really like it that much, especially compared to the original. But maybe, as I said earlier, it might not be fair to compare it to the original too. But I mean, it has a lot. It's entertaining. You know, there's a lot to enjoy in it, you know, from Steve Buscemi, Pam Greer. And I mean, this all-star cast really and it's nice great it's great excuse to see snake Plissken uh again as well too um but yeah 2.5 out of 5 for me what about you ryan um <laughs> i mean it has its moments right like like some of the the action is just like, like john was saying it's just this weird blend of like the zaniness and the, with the weird cgi and like the weird things that they budgeted for it but i i think i i give it like a, a two uh, but the, the fun factor is there, I think. Uh, I, I, I had fun with it, yeah. Oh, cool. How about uh, how about yourself, Quinn? What did you think? Yeah, you know what? Cool cast. Um, big Pam Greer fan. And uh, like I said before, Kurt Russell, Steve Buscemi, you know, uh, super cool cast. And funny, you know, it, I, I like Carpenter. I like the atmosphere of this movie. Like I said before, it's not great. It's good. I had fun. I give it a three out of five. Um cool. Yeah. So just, yeah, good. I'm looking forward to watching it again in like a couple of years, you know, let it, let it sit for a bit, but I would, I mean, man, I, I want more from Carpenter. 
or yeah. somebody like I so I would love to see a sequel to this like just anything um you know what I, I just the more the more content the better at this point um but uh yeah what about you McGill so if I had seen this movie for the first time today I'd probably be a bit closer to Ryan or Curtis like 2.2 2.5 out of 5 but because I have such nostalgic value, I got to sort of push it into a fully positive rating. I give it a three out of five. <laughs> what do you think, Grant? I don't know. I always have trouble with the ratings. I don't know. Two, uh, <laughs> two bags of popcorn and uh, half a Coke. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and one quarter of a star. I mean. <laughs> <laughs> sure. <laughs> cool, cool. Um, yeah, I guess, I guess am I the last one to give a... Uh, Give the give the ratings. Okay, cool. Um, yeah, for me, I, I I really dug this film. Actually, looking looking at uh, the overall scoring, I was looking at my letterbox list. I think this is like my tenth highest Carpenter film. Uh, surprisingly, um, I don't think it's obviously not the same tier as like Escape for Escape from New York or Assault on Precinct Thirteen or Halloween or I don't even think it's probably as good as like uh, In the Mouth of Madness or The Fog. But I actually don't think it's totally far off from that kind of range. I actually really I again I I'm not as big into it as Carpenter is himself, but I, I do see what he was going for. I thought it was very fun. I did find kind of towards the end, I started to kind of zone out a little bit. It kind of got a little bit muddled, but it didn't really hold my attention the same way that Escape from New York did. And then that's just due to the kind of the way it shot, the design, the pacing, the mood that's set in that film. This one, because it's so colorful, because it's so more playful, because it's like the gremlins too of, of Carpenter's films at the same time. It, 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 there's, it, it, it's kind of hard to kind of keep your attention all the way through as, but I really love the ending sequence of this. My probably one of the best Carpenter endings. I mean, up there with like the thing and, and, and even like in the mouth of madness, which I, I love. Um, yeah. I, I really, I really enjoyed this. I think this one is a, a huge, huge hit and uh, gave it a four out of five. Loved it. Uh, I think look at her scores overall averaged out. We give it a 2.83. So pretty uh pretty mediocre by carpenter standards but i think it's still you know still punching ahead of memoirs of an invisible man i don't think anything will yeah drop below <laughs> that about the village of the damned yeah yeah oh my god fucking village <laughs> of the damned. that was so dumb that was such a bad one not it was just such a lazy not movie super, not even superman can save this one that one <laughs> yeah i feel like i love carpenter but i do like i think we've talked about before it, it does feel like he just sort of as as his career was kind of winding down he just stopped giving a fuck as much as he really used to and was just kind of as I think it was either McGill or Grant was saying like yeah it looks good enough visually like let's just keep it it was like it did it's kind of funny that like some of his films like he would direct films that you know I think Vampires was not low budget but it was higher but it's like you know three million gets you a lot more in 1981 than it does in like 1999 or something like that you know obviously like the you know you're working with the same budgets but it's like you're getting much less bang for your buck it seems um but overall I, I think Overall, we had a good time with it. Pretty fun. Fun to come back to these characters and, you know, another kind of lively throwback Carpenter movie. Again, I would love to see him do something a little bit different. I mean, obviously, he's been doing a lot of music with his son, Halloween Kills, Halloween, and then more, most recently Firestarter. But I would love to actually see him get back into either at least writing or kind of creating something like this. And, yeah, the, um, idea, the ideas are still there, too. It's just, you know, he has to kind of give a shit, like you said, you know. Yeah, and like his just overall view of America has aged well. Like he was mm. fuck what he was like fuck Ronald Reagan during the height of the Reagan era. And I mean, that takes age pretty good. So I think like he's some <laughs> I wouldn't call him like a socialist, but he's someone who has like a lot to say about kind of society and pop culture and, and kind of celebrity culture. And I would love to see him kind of, you know, 
throw some takedowns on some people. I don't know. I would love escape from, you know, the solar system or something like that. Give it, give it to me. <laughs> but uh, yeah, overall, this was a lot of fun. Um, I guess next Carpenter series is uh, John Carpenter's Vampires, one that I haven't seen mm-hmm. since, God, I rented it when we were just, I, that was the first Carpenter movie I remember watching. Cause like, I remember, I think it was like, I was pretty young. I was like seven or eight years old. That movie came out. And my dad loved it. So we had it on tape and I remember watching it when I was probably too young to watch it. I've heard parts of it have aged terribly. Uh, so I'm kind of excited to come back to it and see like, Oh fuck. Wow. Eight-year-old John really missed all that shit. But uh, I remember really kind of digging like, cause it, it, it kind of shows vampires. It's like almost like a disease. They're just like raving individuals or whatever. So anyways, I want to, it'd be fun to come back to that one. It'd be fun. Not totally accurate, but uh, it'll be interesting to come back to that one. And I think uh, what's our next non John Carpenter episode. I think we're doing, is it the sequels Mandy, that are Mandy, bad? It? Oh, it's Mandy. It, yeah, so we're going to be is doing it Mandy, Mandy next week, or is it, is it the sequels? I'm not sure. I fucking can't remember. Anyways, we <laughs> will be sure to let you know. I think I think it's Mandy actually, uh, which okay. I think I'll be I think it won't be around, so I'll have to like write up my little blurb for you guys. But uh, yeah, it's going to be fun to, to check. So of course, stay tuned. We got more John Carpenter stuff coming up and other stuff as well. Um, now we're getting into you know our little plugs, things to mention. Curtis, anything you want to plug or mention on, on your end? Um, not really. I, I'm going to probably work on a personal website soon, so that'll be oh, soon, but no, no yeah. film, no we'll film reviews the show on notes, there, but yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> how about, uh, how about you, Ryan? Anything you want to mention or, or plug or anything of that sort? I got nothing to plug. Uh, <laughs> just how to be hanging with my brother, you know? You there guys you are go. Awesome. Yeah. Thanks a bunch. Yeah. Thanks for coming on too. Uh, Quinn, how about yourself? Anything uh, on the up and up? Yeah, just check out uh, my page uh, on Instagram at Seatstruck Reviews. Um, just want to thank uh, Ryan, McGill, and Grant for coming on. Uh, yeah, thanks to all you guys. Great to have you. Uh, it's such a awesome. pleasure. Um, yeah, super awesome. But uh, I got to run. But you guys take care. Enjoy your week. And uh, I'll see you guys later. Cool. Thanks so much, Quinn. How about uh, how about you, Grant? Anything you want to plug or mention uh, before we? Uh, yeah, I mean, uh, I'm 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 not too too active online, but uh, I do <laughs> occasionally uh, post art to my Instagram, which is uh, myomakinoi. Um, so yeah, if you uh, if you want to check out some uh, uh, some weird little uh, 3D animations, uh, that's cool. where I am. <laughs> cool. We'll have to we'll add that to the show notes, folks. So read the you know watch listen to the podcast, click the button to see the episode. And, and check out the notes and, and find uh, Grant's Instagram. How about yourself, Miguel? Anything you want to plug or mention before? Yeah, a uh, lot of things associated with my name. So the spelling <laughs> of my name is M-A-G-I-L-L, last name F-O-O-T-E, Miguel Foot. So if you want to look me up on Letterboxd, uh, Miguel Foot on Letterboxd, you can go to miguelfoot.com to see some of my video work. And I also produce and edit a popular true crime podcast called The Trail Went Cold. And it comes out on a weekly basis. If you want to hear uh, Grant and my good friend Robin uh, talking about unsolved cold cases, check out The Trail Went Cold. It's also uh, trailwentcold.com for the official site, but it's on all the podcast platforms. Cool, cool. Thanks a bunch. And uh, yeah, myself, uh, I'm also on Letterboxd. Uh, I think Johnny Cakes91 is my username. I, I see Miguel a lot, I read his reviews. And uh, I, so I'm, I'm a big fan of Letterboxd. Uh, know some of the stuff on there makes me uh makes me smile and it's a it's a good way to remember what i watched too just the active logging stuff is is fun sometimes and going back and be like did i watch that what did i think about it then so uh you can check johnny kicks 91 letterbox if you want to see my stuff uh i also have another podcast uh domestic pints only which we're recording in i think 20 minutes breakfast beers i guess today uh we're gonna we, we do rate review beer uh, we just did an episode on white claws the version two volume two box which is uh, pretty good i gotta say i'm not a big fan of white claws but the the newer flavors are pretty decent and we're doing a little 
special Ottawa Stout uh, episode in a few, uh, talking some kind of specialty stouts here in the city. So uh, you can check that out as well, too. Um, anything else? Last last minute, guys. Anything else you guys want to say or mention before we uh, wrap this thing? That's all for me. All right. Call us. Thanks, thanks again, you guys. Great <laughs> to have you come back anytime. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks. Thanks, everyone. We'll see you all again next week. Take care, folks. Bye-bye.